hope you'll go ahead and take your outline out and study as we study along. I want to start with a quotation from Jesus. Uh, from Matthew chapter 5, where Jesus says this, I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If we didn't know that those words were out of the mouth of Jesus, we would literally in America think that's crazy. We certainly would think that it's, it's completely unrealistic what Jesus has said. And so if you've been with us over the last few weeks, we're studying the seven deadly sins. Today we get to the sin of lust, which is truly the most socially acceptable of the seven deadly sins. None of us would like to be called a glutton or greedy or envious, but when it comes to lust, that's okay. We we see it in TV, we see it on billboards, we see it advertising hamburgers, my goodness. We see it in movies. In fact, it's, it's pretty crazy. I saw something the other day. You know, we think about Hollywood as being the greatest producer of movies in the world. And, and they do produce a lot of movies. In fact, every year, Hollywood produces about 470 movies. That's nine a week. But the hardcore porn issue produces 11,000 movies a year, which is 30 a day. So we see that this is a challenging commandment as we talk about it. The, the theologian N.T. Wright says this is what he thinks happened when, when Moses came off the mountain and had the Ten Commandments. He walks down to the people. He says, I've got some good news for you and I've got some bad news for you. He said, let me give you the good news first. I've got him down from 40 to 10. Here's the bad news. Adultery is still on the list. And guys, that's what we've got to deal with as we come today. I want to read a a passage, I think, that helps us get this in context from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16. I'm actually going to be reading from the message because often when you read a a familiar text, it's helpful to read it in an unfamiliar way. There's more, Paul writes, to sex than mere skin on skin. Sex is as much a spiritual mystery as a physical act. As written in scripture, the two become one. Since we want to become spiritually one with the master, we must not pursue the kind of sex that avoids commitment and intimacy, leaving us more lonely than ever. This kind of sex that can never become one. There's a sense in which sexual sins are different from all others. In sexual sins, we violate the sacredness of our own bodies. Those bodies that were made for God and given and God modeled for becoming one with one another. Or don't you realize that your body is a sacred place? The place of the Holy Spirit. Don't you see that you can't live however you please? Squandering what God paid such a high price for. The physical part of you is not some piece of property belonging to the spiritual part of you. No, God owns the whole works. So let people see God in and through your body. You see, early Christianity doesn't have a dualism of a a spiritual part and a a body part. It says that they're all parts that fit together. And and God is the owner. You know, God's not just renting out your body. God owns your body. And we all know we treat something that we rent different than something that we own. You know, how many people wash a rental car? You, you, you just don't do that because you, 
it's not yours. How many check the oil on a rental car? You don't do it. You don't care because you don't own it. You're just renting it and you're going to put it back. God says, here's what I want you to understand. Not just your spirit, but your body. I own. I own every part of you and it's all connected. So let's address to start off three myths about sex. First of all, number one, that God is anti-sex. This is probably where this discussion needs to start. God is not anti-sex. Sex was God's idea. To God, it is a beautiful thing. It's the way men and women procreate. It's also, if you read the book of the Song of Solomon, it's a moment of pleasure. And so we need to understand, because a lot of Christian people walk away from this kind of discussion thinking God is anti-sex. He's not. It's his idea. He thinks it's a beautiful, loving act of selflessness and unity. Number two, sex is just, the next myth, sex is just a physical act. I like the way uh, the message puts there, it's more than skin on skin. God believes it involves the physical, the mental, the emotional, the spiritual. It's all wrapped up into one. It's the giving of your complete self. And, And that's why God is so opposed to any form of sex outside of marriage. Because it creates a bond and a unity that belongs in commitment and intimacy. Now, I was, I was talking to a, a college student this week who had broke up with their girlfriends. Not somebody here, but, but they were having a really hard time with the whole breakup. And I've noticed through the years, if anyone ever struggles with that, that what it normally means is, if they can't break up and they go, I can't stand her, or I can't stand him, I don't. The problem is they've got that bond that's only intended in this committed relationship. And when you try to tear it apart, it does great destruction. Because it's not just about the physical, it's about oneness. So if I take these two pieces of duct tape and I put them together, leave some of them apart, can I just just sort of take this Really bond them together. Let's see. No, I need a strong young man. Paul Borland. Come on up here for a second. Paul Borland. Where's Paul Borland? Oh, oh Paul, I just blew this, I believe. See, I'm never going to get that apart. Come on up, Paul. While, while you do it, I'm going to redo this, all right? Now, I want to give you a chance at this. I want you to see the kind of bond that happens between people. <laughs> Whoa! You are your daddy's son. There's no doubt about that. That's awesome, man. Will you flex a little bit? Oh, God. Oh, my goodness. And we're talking about lust today. No problem there. Okay. Now, let me put this together as tight as I can. Now, Paul, what I want you to do. I want you, as strong as you are, man, you have proven that to us. On, I, I need you to rip these two pieces apart, okay? It just... Okay, good job, man. Thank you very much. You see, the, the point is, you can't rip it apart without destroying each part. And guys, when, when bodies are linked together in this way, you can't rip them apart without doing incredible danger. danger. 
You see, we, we want to believe there's no danger to it. The, the truth is, it is a bond that's meant for a committed relationship to bond you together. And when you take it outside of that, the truth is it always messes things up. I mean, have you been there? In fact, that brings us to, to number, number three. The myth is a hookup is harmless. What's a hookup? Some of us older people, I don't even know what it is. It's just, a, it's just a sexual encounter with absolutely no commitment. Average college senior has had seven hookups in his college career. And what our culture says to us is no one's going to get hurt. But the truth is everybody gets hurt. It's like Paul said in Corinthians, you will leave more lonely than ever. Now, let me give you another illustration, I think, that might, might help us with this. Show, show the next picture, if you would. I mean, you can see a, a fireplace here. Excuse me, there was a fireplace back there. Is there pictures? There we go. I mean, and I think here's a great illustration of, of what God, God intends this to be a beautiful thing. He's pro, but, but God knows it has boundaries. And when put in those boundaries, it's a place of beauty and of warmth and of love. But when it gets outside of those boundaries, show the next picture. When it gets outside of the fireplace, it causes tremendous damage. And so that's why God gives us these warnings. In fact, let's look at what Jesus said. Because Jesus, back to Matthew chapter 5, Jesus really raises the standard. In fact, it's so high, we're uncomfortable with Jesus' standard. Matthew chapter 5 Verse 27, if you'd look there with me, Matthew 5, verse 27. You've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. And now Jesus ups the standard because he not understands the bond. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Wow. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off, throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. What, what does Jesus say? He says lust is a big issue, despite the fact it's so accepted in our culture. Let's talk about what lust is not. Lust is not, first of all, it's not attraction. God wired you to be attracted. It's not even casual, fleeting thoughts. Sometimes I think we send people on guilt trips when we talk about this when it really doesn't belong as a guilt trip. It's not attraction. It's not a fleeting thought. It's not being, uh, you know, your eye being caught by someone. It's more than that. Lust is a strong desire and a craving. It's when I begin in my mind to possess their bodies and begin to think things through and begin to focus. Now, many of you that have been around here for a long time, and I'll try to, to tame this down a little bit, but remember a character in this church for years named David Evans. How many of you are blessed enough to know that David Evans? I will never forget teaching upstairs one time the Sermon on the Mount, and we got to lust. And so being a teacher, I asked, please give us a definition of lust. And I got some nice, sweet Church of Christ definitions. The second look, the weird one about the bird flying over the nest. You ever heard that one? Well, be thankful. Okay. And then my boy David Evans raises his hand, and I made the mistake of calling on him. And he said, I won't say the quotation, some of you remember, it's when you begin to focus in on blank and blank. It's when you begin to think it through. 
And that's what Jesus is saying here. Lust is a strong desire and it's selfish. Lust is about my own gratification where this was meant to be about expressing love to someone. It's not about me just gratifying myself with my eyes or on the computer or with somebody. It is about giving of yourself. And here's the sad thing, because we live in such a lust-obsessed culture. We've told a generation of women that to be worthy of love, you need to be worthy of lust. And, And so often, I see young women dressed in ways I don't think they really understand what they're doing to a man. But they dress that way. Because we think that's a way to receive love. If I do that Facebook post or that Instagram post, you know, of that sexy post, my self-worth couldn't be determined by how many likes. It's so dangerous. And that's why Jesus says the solution is radical surgery. Jesus is not saying, I want you to start cutting off body parts. What he's saying is, you need to do whatever it takes to free yourself from this inferno that in the long run will destroy your home and destroy your life. So how do we do this? Let's look at a great story. Uh, I call this an unexpected, unforgettable visit by lust. What really always amazes me about the Bible is how real it is, okay? And so we're going to go back to Genesis 39 to get some practical points before we close out of how we handle this issue. Go back to the story in Genesis 39. We've got three characters. We've got Joseph. You remember the story of Joseph who sold into slavery. He begins to come up out of the slavery because he's so successful. We've got a guy named Potiphar. In our vernacular, Potiphar would be like the head of the FBI. And then we got a desperate housewife. We got Mrs. Potiphar. And just, just go back with me and be just a little amazed at how fresh this ancient text is. Verse 6, Genesis 39. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge. He did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. He just turns it all over to Joseph. And then listen to what the Bible says. Now, Joseph was well-built and handsome. Now, do you expect to find that in the Bible? That that Joseph's a good-looking, well-built, muscular guy? That's, That's so crazy to me, but... Actually, there are three times in the Bible where this happens. It says it about Joseph, well-built and handsome. It says it about Absalom, well-built and handsome. And about David, well-built and handsome. Which goes to prove to you and I, there's nothing wrong with being well-built and handsome. It's just absolutely not fair. Okay? But, but that's the way Joseph looks. And not only, honestly, does the Holy Spirit notice this and put it in the Bible. But Mrs. Potiphar notices it and and just watch what happens after a while his master's wife took notice of joseph the old king james version there is she looked with desire at joseph which is really the word we're talking about today she lusts after joseph she begins to dwell on it think it through and she makes her move she said come to bed with me pretty subtle move don't you think i mean she just comes right after him And then you get to the core of this passage, which is so awesome. But 
He refused. With me in charge, he's told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he's entrusted to me. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master's withheld nothing from me except you. Because you are his wife. And now we get to the core. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. In fact, if you keep reading the story, you know, finally she's desperate. She walks in the house on a day when nobody's there but her and Joseph. So nobody's going to see She thinks Joseph is just playing hard to get, and she walks in, and she grabs him and once again repeats that line, would you come to bed with me? And Joseph runs out with his garment left in her hands. And talking about bad luck, here's a man in the middle of Egypt standing up for God. What does she charge Joseph with? Rape. She screams when the servants come in, this man came, here's his garment, he was trying to rape me. And then Joseph goes back to prison for living for God. I'm telling you, what an example Joseph is. Here he is in a foreign culture. People don't share his values. Women in Egyptian culture, Mrs. Potiphar probably really didn't think twice about this. I mean, they were very liberated sexually. And so here's a man who stands up, and and that's where we find ourselves. I worry about the young people growing up in our culture today because we live in such a sex-obsessed culture that defines who you are by that and with that and expects it. And so for us to live in a different way, my friends, we are called to be so counter-cultural, aren't we? How do you do that? Let's Let's get four practical points from Joseph. First of all, you've just got to refuse. You've got to have a decisive line. You've got to say, this is just not going to happen. See, too many of us are are like the famous Christian theologian from the early church fathers, Augustine, who became a Christian. He said, Lord, please make me sexually pure. Just not yet. Joseph is determined that it's not going to happen. I mean, do you notice he didn't discuss this with her. He didn't talk about it. He didn't say, well, you know, that's very flattering to me. And let's let's sit down on the couch and discuss this. And I want to tell you a little bit about my beliefs and, and why I'm uncomfortable with this and why I can't. I mean, no, he knows better than that. He just refuses. And guys, guys, in our life, men and women, for us to be free from this, and I don't, I don't want to make this a, a focus on pornography because I know we've talked about that a lot, but certainly that is epidemic. It's something you simply have got, you've got to put the filters on. You've got to have the accountability. You've got to have the, the, the computer where people can see it. And when you get in relationships, before you get there and things begin to spark, you need to have clear lines in your mind of what you will do and what you won't do because I'm telling you in the day we live if you don't know what you will do and what you won't do I can absolutely tell you what you'll do I I like the young man who shared this prayer with me the other day thank you when he sees a beautiful woman he says thank you for making beautiful things and thank you for making her for someone else 
You've got to have that kind of decisiveness. And, and the second point here is don't rationalize. Have you ever thought about what Joseph could have said here? I mean, he, he could have certainly gone, you know what? Um, you know, I'm a young man and, and God gave me desires and you know, obviously I'm not getting married around here anytime soon. And how do I make this long time? He, he could have rationalized, here's a powerful woman in Egypt. Nobody thinks about it. She wants me. Why not? He could have even rationalized, God, if you're so great and if you really love me, how in the world did you let my own brothers sell me and I end up here? This is, I mean, God, you, you must not be around. I mean, there's so many rationalizations that that Joseph could have used, and yet he doesn't. And today, we've got to make sure that we're as wise as Joseph. Did you pick up on some things there? The Bible says he didn't even spend time with her. He, he, He would not even listen to her. Let me say this, and I don't know what you call it because it it always is a moving target. I don't know if you call it dating or courting or seeing someone or talking to someone, okay? Whatever your your generation calls it. But if you are dating, that's my term, someone that you know wants things to go further than what you think is right, you need to get out of that relationship. You don't need to rationalize. You need to be with someone who shares the values that God has given you because it is too easy to get in that place and just to rationalize. You can go, you know what? We love each other. We're going to get married. I think we are. I mean, this is about to happen. I mean, nowadays, people get married a whole lot later. This is a challenge. I mean, years ago, people got married very young. Now the marriage date is fun. That that puts you in a very precarious position. And then number three is probably the best piece of advice is just run, run. Every time you see sexual temptation mentioned in Scripture, there is one word of advice, run. There's never the advice to discuss it. There's never the advice to listen. There's never the advice to think, oh, well, okay, let's talk about this, Mrs. Potiphar. You know, I don't want to offend my boss's wife. No, you've just got to run. There are some temptations you go, you know, it's me and it's you, Satan, and we're going head on on this thing, man. And it, it's good. I'm going to wrestle you over this. Listen to me. This is not that temptation. You don't wrestle him. You don't fight him. You run. You just get out of there. You don't put yourself in that compromising position in the back of your head. You know where it's going to lead if I'm there. You run. And then the most important point about being victorious in this area of your life is to recognize God. The the, the most important line that I see is is when Joseph says, how can I do, listen to his language, how can I do such a wicked thing? No, no, no. First of all, guys, that's part of the not rationalization. He labels this thing right. In our culture, we would never call it a wicked thing. We would call it you know, hooking up or making love or you name it. He, he, he's he's going to be victorious because he knows what it is. He knows it's a wicked, evil thing. How can I do this? And that's how decisive you've got to be. You've got to label it right. You've got to see the beauty of marriage, sex, and what God wants for you. And you've got to label this correctly. But then the most important line in the passage that I want to stick out in your mind is how could I do this wicked thing 
and sin against God. Joseph recognizes the presence of God. God, I may be in Egypt, I may be in slavery, I may be in this foreign land that doesn't even share my values, but guess what? You came with me. Because we can make all kinds of arguments from disease to pregnancy to whatever about extra and before marriage sex. We could make all those, but, but none of those will keep you pure. What will keep you pure is that you love God so much, even when everything in your body says go, you love God so much that you are going to say, I can't do this against God. I just can't do it. And honestly, the passage we started with earlier this, this morning, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, that was Paul's strongest argument. How can you hook yourself up with that person? Because what Paul said, I mean, it's a pretty crazy idea in our minds. He says, if you hooked yourself up with that prostitute, you've just hooked God up with her. The Holy Spirit's in you. See, when I was a kid, we made some really lame arguments, you know. But we'd go to the youth rally and they'd say, you know, be, be pure. Be, just, just think if, if, if you were somewhere, you know, and you're doing something you shouldn't do. And then they'd ask this question that we'd all shudder on. What would you do if God walked in the room? And we'd go, oh, we'd be so embarrassed we'd have to stop. No, no, no. My friends, that was a terrible question. The issue is not whether God walks in the room or not. The truth is, wherever you go, God goes. God is in the room. And when you come together, you have have brought God in on this. He said, how can you do this when your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, guys? And so the game changer is for us to believe and know that God is with us and for you. Isn't it interesting, seems to me, every one of these seven deadly sins, we go back to the same thing. You see, what these, all these sins are is they're impediments for your relationship with God. And so it seems like every week we go back to, you've got to build a great loving relationship with God. So that you know everywhere you go, he's there. You represent him. And though you may be tempted, who isn't? Guys, listen to me. Please listen to me. It is not sinful to be tempted. Don't, don't let Satan play that card on you. Temptation is not the sin. It's the falling to the temptation that's the sin. Even Jesus, however you want to look at this, Jesus was tempted in all ways as we are. I would include in this way. He was tempted. But he didn't sin. And the reason and the, the way that we're going to overcome this is that I love God more than I love my own lust and my own s- s- satisfaction. So the real issue in this lesson, honestly, guys, for us who live in this crazy world we live in, is do we trust God? Or do we trust our culture? Are we going to raise our children up? I know some of you are probably nervous that we're talking about this in front of your children, but listen to me. Your children are hearing this and seeing this everywhere. If we can't talk about it in church, guys, we're making a big mistake. Because what we got to teach them in the long run when they ask you these questions after today is where we can trust God in every area of our life. I love the story. You've probably heard me tell it before. Of the college freshman. He's gone off to a state school. Parents have sent him off there. You know, mother's worried about how his faith is going to do so. About midway through the first semester, she goes to visit him. And and she walks up, she's able to go in his dorm room, and she goes in the dorm room, and to her shock and dismay, the walls are covered with pornographic pictures. 
And she's just embarrassed and she just leaves the dorm and she doesn't say anything to her son because she does, she just doesn't know how to handle it. He comes home for Christmas break. The only thing she knew to do was to wrap up a very special Christmas gift for him, which was a picture of Jesus. She thought just maybe, maybe that would get to him. And so it's the next semester. She's going mid-semester for another visit. And she holds her breath because she's walking into his dorm room. And she walks into the dorm room. And to her relief, all the pornographic pictures are down. But she sees over her son's bed the picture of Jesus. And, And again, she tries not to say anything. But finally she just says, son, I'm not trying to be pushy, but what happened to all those pictures? And here was his answer. When I put the picture of Jesus on the wall, none of the other pictures belonged. And whether you're struggling with extramarital issues or before marriage issues or pornography issues or just lustful thoughts while you're walking down the road. The most important thing is, is Jesus in your life. Because if Jesus is the center of your life, then what you're going to understand is the rest of it just won't belong. And you will refuse, you won't rationalize, you'll run because you have recognized the presence of God. And so this morning, maybe let's broaden this before we sing our song about purity of heart. In your life, maybe lust is not your issue. Maybe it's one of the other deadly sins we've been talking about. Here's my question for you this morning is, would you raise up Jesus in the middle of that? And then tell me if that greed belongs, that gluttony belongs, that lust belongs, that envy, that jealousy belongs. You see, you fall in love with him. And because you love him, you'll start cleaning up the rest of it. So today, before you walk out of this place, if you need the prayers of this church or you're ready to follow Jesus, it's a radical call. I guarantee you that. We're not trying to lower the standard today. The standard is high. It's a radical call, but it's a call that will bless every moment of your life. If you need to come to Jesus, why don't you come while we stand and sing?